I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Minda Honey, author of The Heartbreak Years. In the car she had since high school and with her boyfriend by her side, Minda Honey journeyed cross-country from Louisville, Kentucky to Southern California. By the end of that year, Obama would be president, she'd be single, and everything would change. Thousands of miles away from family and friends, Minda must navigate online dating and new relationships and the challenges of early adulthood. From steamy hookups to narrow escapes, frustratingly adorable meet-cutes and confusing relationships, she navigates the all-too-relatable realization that nothing ever plays out quite like the romantic comedies of our youth. Minda sets out to redefine what matters most in her life, purely on her own terms. Her essays on politics and relationships have appeared in the Los Angeles Review of Books, The Washington Post, The Guardian, The Oxford American, Teen Vogue, and Long Reads. Welcome to the show, Minda. Nice to have you on today. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction, Catherine. <laughs> How's that for a, yeah, for a good intro? Okay, well, uh, as we said before the show, before we get on the air, the book comes out October 1st. Uh, it's memoirs. I always find, I mean, memoirs are very personal and I and I I guess my first question is like is there a certain vulnerability when you're writing a memoir all the personal stuff about yourself different than a novel for instance oh absolutely but you know you have to you have to work the material that you have and I think as writers we're often called to tell a particular story are drawn to a specific genre if I had it in me to write a novel, I promise you, I would have put that out instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you didn't. You did the memoir. Okay, so we're going to know all about you. And on October 1st, everybody around the world is going to know all about you. So let's start out. Memoir. You went, you traveled thousands of miles. Uh, and I don't want to read the intro all over again. So what prompted you to do that? You're young. You're in your 20s. you got a boyfriend. You decide, what, uh, young, black woman, um, attractive, smart. Let's start from there. Um, the beginning of your journey. Sure. Yeah. I'd been with my high school sweetheart for about six years. Uh, we had moved up to Cincinnati for my first job post-college. I won't ruin any details from the book, but it does not work out for me. And around that same opportunity, uh, around that same time, an opportunity comes up to house sit for his grandparents in Southern California and he always had these dreams of becoming a dancer, and I'd always had these dreams of living someplace without winter. So we got in the car and we went. And you also have to remember, this is 2008, so not only is Obama campaigning, you know, about to become president, but we're also in the middle of the Great Recession. And I graduated college in 2007, so in general, there were not a lot of opportunities. So something about California feels very hopeful. And so the idea of just kind of like throwing caution in the wind, getting in the car and going um, really made it kind of feel like, like there was this big life ahead of me. And there was, but <laughs> like you said, it doesn't quite play out the way I had pictured it. You know, when you're with someone for six years, despite the fact that most people do not go on to marry their high school sweethearts, you kind of envision this entire life together. So when I moved to California and then we broke up shortly after that, I wasn't really sure what my life was going to look like or what I wanted to do next. But what I did know was that it was December and I was not going to go back to Kentucky and back to winter. 
Okay, well, that's good. That's one big decision. No more Kentucky, no more winters, and then you're going to go from there. But I, I don't want to leave the the years and getting out to California because that was going to be the answer. Fun, great stuff was going to happen. Great boyfriend. So what happened with the great boyfriend? We don't want to give away the whole book, but like some of the emotions. What what was happening? Why didn't it work out? Uh, what did you learn about him? What did he learn about you? Yeah, I think when you're young, um, well particularly for someone my age, I'm 38. So I I came from this generation of folks who a lot of us had divorced parents and our childhoods were subsequently impacted by those divorces. So for me, I was like really clinging to this idea of a relationship as a way to provide stability. And my high school sweetheart was very much a sweetheart, just the the nicest guy you could ever meet. I mean, I had men and boys who would like flirt with me in high school or college. And I'd be like, I have a boyfriend. He's like, I don't care about that boyfriend. And then they'd meet him and become best friends with him. (laughs) Forget all about me. Like he was that great, but someone can be really great and still not be the right person for you. But that's hard to see at that age. It's also difficult at that age to really kind of like, pursue your dreams and do the things that you want to do in life while also doing what's necessary to maintain a relationship. So when we got to California, we kind of came to those crossroads, you know, like he really wanted to pursue his dance dreams. Uh, I was only allowed to stay in the house for so long because, you know, his grandparents were going to come back um, from their travels and, you know, I was going to need to move out. And so I'm like, you, you got to come with me. Like rent is expensive out here. So when he didn't come with me because he was going to stay so that he could continue to go like dance classes and things like that, it just kind of signaled the end of the relationship. And it was really hard at the time. And it felt like a betrayal, but with a lot of time and a lot of perspective, I also realized that there was a lot of me that had been staying in that relationship because he was so comforting. He was so safe. Like, you know, I had experienced sexual trauma very early in my teen years. And so to be with someone who was like caring and kind really kind of was like an anchor for me. So I was reluctant to give that up, even though there were all these signs that we had outgrown each other in all of these ways. So it really just kind of took all of these different things coming to a head to really kind of get us to like break up and move on with our lives in different directions. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You say you were, you were very comfortable with him. And maybe one of the reasons is, and I think many young women uh, end up in similar situations or begin in similar situations as you do. He came from where you came from. He knows you, he knows where you come from. That's comfortable. Uh, you don't have to explain who you are or where you're going. And that's the first part of it. But being able to let go of that, which you were able to do, and I think a lot, many young women don't let go of that and end up staying together or even getting married. So you had the strength to say, hey, this isn't working and I am going to let go of it and become, I think, independence was maybe one of the words that, um, I don't know if I said that in the, in the intro, but embracing your own independence, you were able to let go and do that. Yeah. And I think some of that was because we had moved to Southern California. Like I fully believe if we stayed in Kentucky, we would have stayed in this relationship. We would have continued to like break up and get back together until we eventually got married, had a couple kids, realized we were miserable and divorced in our thirties. 
And then said goodbye. (laughs) Moving to California really disrupted the narrative and opened up, you know, kind of like new pathways for our lives. What were your challenges? Okay, so you were able to let go, as you said, realizing this is not going to work. I don't want to get married, have two kids, and then get divorced. That's not the path I want to take. Here I am in California, very different than Kentucky. But being in California, obviously, and, and I don't want to say that's not a hostile environment, but it's very different. Where, who, What were your supports? What you know, Once you broke up with him, what happened? Well, I moved into an apartment with three boys. <laughs> we all had our own bathrooms and our own parking spots, and that was enough. And, you know, the rent was exactly what I could afford. I also joined, at the time, meetup.com was really popular. So I joined this very literal named group, 20-something Orange County Girls. And I met a bunch of other women who, incidentally, had also recently become single or recently moved to Southern California. So, I mean, I made a ton of friends all at once, like probably like around 20 people. And we would go out basically every night except for for Monday nights. So I had this very robust social circle all of a sudden. Uh, And... It was still very different, though, because, you know, all of my family was back in Kentucky. All of my friends that I'd gone to, like, high school and college with were in Kentucky. So I really kind of had to, one, learn Southern California culture. I had to overhaul my entire wardrobe. But I'm also interacting with people not only from Southern California, but people who have moved from all over the nation to Southern California. But what we had in common was that we were all kind of in the same place in life and looking for the same thing. So that's what allowed us to become friends very quickly and almost more like a sisterhood. You know, your book is described the heartbreak years, uh, and I I must have found this online, uh, but maybe, I don't know if it was on Amazon or what, but it says this memoir is Minda's story of a black woman choosing herself, and as we said, embracing your independence and having some fun on the way. So what would be the difference, because they say black woman, what what would be the difference, would you say, or do you because you're, were you, you know, the description is black. I don't know if it's black versus a white woman, or are would there are there differences? And if there are, oh, uh, what are they? Yeah, yeah, there's absolutely differences. Yeah, um, I mean, the black experience in America <laughs> is <laughs> totally different from the white experience in America. But you know, on a more like specific level with this book, dating for black women also works differently. Black women are less likely to get married, and if we are, if we do get married, we marry later in life closer to our 40s or even in our 40s. Um, There's, you know, a lot of anti-Blackness and misogynoir that we have to deal with because we are not, um, we are not the beauty standard in this country. So that you're facing a lot of that. And then because of the age that I was in, I was also dealing with like anti-Blackness and racism in the workplace. So that was affecting my livelihood. So, you know, I mean, anti-blackness and racism really kind of saturate every aspect of your life when you're a black woman uh, in America. And, you know, the book is starts in 2008. So the heartbreak years is kind of a play on the Obama years, because that's essentially the span, like the timeline of the book. So just as I'm like becoming an adult, and I'm trying to figure out who I am, our nation was also changing. Like, we were thinking about consent, race, gender, class, uh, sexuality differently. 
and the way we talk about it differently. And dating is really the perfect vehicle to explore all of those concerns because it cuts across all of those issues. So specifically as a black woman, I was able to, when I sat down to kind of like reflect on my experiences, I was able to draw the line between like my personal experiences and what was happening um, on a larger scale within our country. And the impact, obviously, that that was how that the impact on you. Right. I mean, as an individual Mm -hmm. young black woman in this country. And yeah, can we just kind of call out some of that? What were what are the what what are those specific things that were happening to you that were related to what was happening to us culturally and politically in this country? Uh, You know, Obama being president. Yes, I mean, Obama being president. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, the home of Breonna Taylor. Um, You know, we spent 2020, um, the social justice uprising, like much of the nation was protesting the unjust murder of George Floyd here in Louisville. We were protesting against unjust murder of Breonna Taylor. So as a young black woman in my city who was murdered in her home, um, and, you know, I'm a black woman in the city. As far as like 2008, Obama is president. There was a lot of racism that kind of came his way. And, you know, even just even just being on something like social media, seeing people that you went to high school or college with saying all sorts of racist things about our president because he's black. And these are people you've known for years and you did not realize that this is how they felt about black people. So just really kind of like changing your understanding of uh, the people around you and your place in their lives, dealing with racism in the workplace. You know, I was a highly accomplished individual. I had landed a very prestigious position following college. It was super competitive. And, you know, I was pushed out of that position by a manager who said many racist things to me. And that rerouted the entire trajectory of my career, ultimately for the better, because I became a writer instead of an executive. But at the time, that was very demoralizing. You know, when I first moved to California, the only job I was able to find was retail. And even then, I would experience, you know, customers who would say racist things or who wouldn't want me to help them because I'm a black person. Like, you know, and it seems absurd that people would walk into a mall and and feel like they have a racial preference for who hands them their $100 skin cream, but (laughs) those things really happen. Like that was my reality. And then when you're dating, you're on these dating apps, on these dating platforms, uh, black women statistically receive the least amount of messages, black women and Asian men. And then the types of messages that you get, you know, can be very fetishy, um, men fetishizing you, men not taking you seriously. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, it was really kind of every aspect. And then right around the same time, the news stories were breaking about Steubenville. So we were thinking very differently about consent and consent culture. And these were conversations that we were just beginning to have. And so I was at an age where not only was the way that we were thinking about consent, did it matter, like as I was dating in the moment, but it also allowed me to reframe some of those like earlier experiences that I had had with men. 
When you say reframe those experiences, like what are you talking about? Because I'm just, I'm really, I'm back on how painful it is. Because on when when you thought you had friends who cared for you, loved you, respected you, and then they're saying these hateful things on social media. Um, how, how? I mean, it's painful. It hurts. I think. What, I yeah, think what, you know, young girls. Maybe not so much now because the conversation is a lot more nuanced and a lot more expansive. But we had been raised to feel like any type of sexual assault, anything that happened to us was our fault because it was, you know, why were you there? What were you wearing? Were you drinking? Um, All of these things that cause you to blame yourself or feel like you may have put yourself in a position to be taken advantage of. And the reality is, is that, you know, the only thing that determines whether or not you get raped is if you were with a rapist. So, you know, what you were wearing doesn't matter. You know, I had on pants personally. So, you know, I was able to kind of like better understand like, oh, these things weren't my fault. They're not mine to hold. And that there is much more responsibility for the individual who took those actions and for the society that doesn't hold those people accountable for what they've done. You know, you talk about you in your 20s, maybe you did, I'm not talking, you didn't speak up or you, you allowed some of this chaos to have, or you allowed uh, the chaos to happen in your life and that you weren't direct enough and that you needed to speak up and ask the right kinds of questions and not allow just what you've been describing happen to you, but you're describing blaming the victim, but where does it come into play that you need to speak up and you need to say something? And um, when you're confronted with certain, whether it's verbal or physical or whatever it is, or on the job and people, you know, or you don't get hired, uh, how does that fit in? I think that every situation is a little bit different because the stakes are different depending on the situation. Your degree of like, personal accountability and personal power varies from situation to situation. You know, I think also your age and experience and your ability to understand what can and can't be done, what can and can't be said, what the potential like fallouts or outcomes that all changes with age. So, you know, at this point I'm almost 40. I'm much further along in my career I have a lot more leverage and power to speak out against something. Um, I think we're also just like as a culture, a lot more aware of the things that happen in the workplace. But, you know, I can't like at 22, first job out of college, lowest person, like lowest rung on the ladder. Like I didn't have any sort of leverage. I like there are plenty of opportunities and points in which I was able to like speak up for myself, but just like not in impactful or significant ways. And I'm also just not sure, like at that age, I would have the wherewithal or the resources to like call out my manager for being racist. So, you know, I just like, I want to acknowledge and keep in mind because I think a lot of times people do put a lot of that weight and blame on themselves. It's like you literally just didn't have the life experience. You didn't have the resources. You didn't have the support that you needed to, to really kind of like protect yourself or um, be your own kind of like shield in these situations. 
So you need the, we all do, you need the experience, as you say, 22 is different than 38. Oh, hope, yeah, hope, hopefully it is. For some people it's not, but uh, uh, no, and that's a good thing. Do you think that some people sense, they have a sense of your power? Like you said, now you feel, well, first of all, you're armed with all kinds of experiences and uh, you've done all kinds of things and you've gotten a lot of respect and you're a writer and all and all of that. Do you think that just even sometimes without even saying it sometimes, they can sense your power? The people who... Well, Bell Hooks, yeah. you know, rest in peace, happy belated birthday to her. Her birthday was <laughs> on Monday. But yeah, the, you know, the iconic black feminist writer Bell Hooks says that the sometimes the reason people attack you is not because they think you have no power, but because they sense the greatness of your power. That's, that's, that's true. That's an interesting comment. So you've gotten this far. You are 38. What, what would be your, and have gone through all of these changes, what would be some your advice for young women starting out in their 20s? Do you think you can make help to make it easier for them? And do you think reading your memoir would help to make it easier for them to have a better understanding of where they're coming from at 22? Oh, I mean, I absolutely wrote this memoir with um, young women, particularly young black women in mind, because I want people to understand that they aren't alone in these experiences. Beyond reading the book, I think creating community, creating network, creating support system, finding people that you can trust and reach out to, whether those are people within your organization or organizations within the community, like maybe I didn't have that support at my job, but I could have joined the Urban League and there would have been people there who would have had experience, who would have been able to mentor and guide me in ways that you know, I didn't, like, I wasn't able to to be guided within my workplace. So, you know, it's like just doing your best to, like, plug into different networks, plug into different communities, reaching out to, like, maybe family members who are in the same field as you, um, alums from your university. Uh, so the better, the more you can surround yourself with people who have had these experiences, the better. The more you can surround yourself with peers that you can trust, so that you can see that you're not the only one who's like in these situations, the better. Um, you know, we can't we can't do it alone. We uh, we need a sisterhood. That's what the right. we definitely Absolutely. need a sister. Yeah, and I think obviously you're talking about we're going back to you know, 2007, 2008. We have so many more opportunities and so many more people we have the we can reach out to. I mean, we can reach out on social media in a good way, and we can get mm-hmm. you know we have the opportunity to search out all the well, organizations that you were talking about, I mean, we it, it doesn't take too much to be able to do that now. It's very different than it was, let's say, in 2008. Thankfully. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, exactly, thankfully. So we can do it. So we have a lot more opportunities. Um, how does your family feel about you now? I mean, you, in, in terms of what you've done and what you've accomplished and, uh, you know, from the, when you left home and you were 22 years old on your trip to California... I mean, I think my family would be happy and proud of me regardless of what I do in life. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, they're just happy that I'm happy. 
Uh, well, that's good because that's not always the case. I mean, sometimes there's a lot of resentment when your kid says, okay, I'm leaving. I'm, you know, going across the country. I have to experience new kinds of things and, and goodbye. Uh, doesn't always turn out well. So, but in your case, yes, you're saying your family, yeah. unconditional I mean, maybe love. Maybe they had some hard feelings at the time. I don't know. We didn't really talk about it, but at this point in our lives, you know, like it is very much like, you're, you know, my mom told me that she had some friends who were like, oh, like, you know, Minda's writing a book. Are you like concerned? Like she's writing a book about dating and there might be like sex in it. And my mom was like, Minda's almost 40 years old. <laughs> like, she could, <laughs> yeah. like, she could, like she is fine. She's, she's grown. So, you know, so I just think like, I, I, and maybe this is because we've like, you know, We've gone through a lot politically. We've gone through a pandemic. So I think a lot of us in general uh, at this point in the year 2023 are just like, look, if you are happy and healthy and you aren't hurting anyone, that is good enough. <laughs> that yep. is good enough. But not good enough for you. You've gone way beyond that. I mean, I'm not saying that's, yes, that is, that's good. That's plus, but you have done so much more. It, it, I mean, it, I mean, I, don't have to read your credentials all over again, but uh, <laughs> uh, so you you definitely have gone beyond that. So Jesse, we only have a couple minutes left. So where are you right now in terms of of family, of dating, of partner? Uh, what are you doing? I am single right now. <laughs> I am focused on this book and launching it successfully into the world. So I've really just kind of deprioritized dating in my life this past year or so. And yeah, I don't know. I'm like right now, I'm just really kind of focused on doing the things that bring me joy and then just hoping that the right person finds me in the midst of that joy. Because those dating apps, I'm done. I'm done with them, Catherine. They're all Okay, well, don't ever do them again then. <laughs> That's it, right? <laughs> Finish. But I hear so many people, I have to say, even at my age, and I'm a different generation than you are, I'm never doing it again. And then next week, my girlfriend will call me up. Well, maybe I'll try it one more time. So, uh, <laughs> you know, never say never, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yes, it's been great talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, two minutes left. Give us a website, website, or, you know, yeah, places you can, can go to find it. Mendahoney.com. Yeah. And I'm also on social media, you know, at Twitter, um, on Instagram, at Minda Honey, and my Facebook, I have a Minda Honey writer's page, if that's your preferred platform, but I don't update it as much. But yeah, you can, and then I'll be going on book tour, starting with the book launch party this Sunday, October 1st. So if you go on my Instagram or you go on my website, you can see all the dates and see if I'll be at a city near you. Great. Great talking to you and good luck with the book. October 1st, everyone, that's when it comes out. The Heartbreak Years, Minda Honey. Um, yeah, yeah, good luck. It was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 